All right, we have got a uh, someone that hasn't spoken at Coast Vineyard before, but he's he's one of our own, one of our own Coast Vineyard people. So, uh, what I'd uh, like you to do, I'm going to ask Andrew Court to come on up. Andrew's a he's had a a great journey in his uh, his life. He's been a businessman, he's been a pastor, he's but most of all, he's a devoted follower of Jesus. So, give him a big welcome as he uh, as he comes on up. If we could keep it playing, just tuck it under there while I pray for him, eh? Just, uh, you never know, the A team, because Andrew's the A team, you know, so um, sometimes music helps you in your journey with God, so help us as we pray. So Father, I just thank you for Andrew, thank you for uh, what he brings to us here at Coast Vineyard. I pray that you would just uh, anoint the words he has to say, God, anoint him as he shares, and also open our hearts and our heads to hear from you this morning through him. Well, good morning, and um, I must say it's a different thing to sort of stand up here and look at all these uh, people like owls on a tree looking at you, but um, hey, it'll be good. Um, The title of my sermon is called Living on the Edge, and I thought instead of talking about God and everything else, we'd look at some uh, interesting slides. Real living on the edge stuff. Now, there's one. Um, That wave is actually 100 feet high. Got that off the YouTube. That's scary stuff, and there's a series of them. We'll flash through in a second. There we go. Now, if you're a keen surfer, I guarantee you wouldn't be keen on getting up on those waves. Um, it does kill the odd person when they come off at the bottom. Now, I'm looking at the screen down here, so I can see what it's a new invention, meant to have a clicker, but it doesn't work at the moment. Now, the next one I'm going to talk about is a, a, a New Zealand guy who, who did some motocross um, stunts. Now, that's the guy. Um, some of you might know him, but he went in the Red Bull competition, and he was doing rotations. Now, not just one. He actually did two, and we weren't to show you that, but that didn't come up. Um, two 720-degree rotations before he hit the ground again. Amazing living on the edge stuff. But I think the, the one that takes the cake is... A, a guy called Philip uh, Pettit, and he uh, walked between the Twin Towers just after they had constructed them. They slung a rope across, and he walked on a high wire across there. There he is. Now, he's not a metre above the ground. He's actually 1,350 uh, feet above the ground. Uh, he walked backwards and forwards for 45 minutes, and then he actually lay down on that wire. And that's real living on the edge sort of stuff. And this is what living on the edge means. To have an adventurous, or oh, there he is lying down. Uh, to have an adventurous or perilous lifestyle, to behave in a manner which creates risk for themselves. But you know, the truth is with those guys, didn't matter what their amazing feat was, it really was very, very short-lived. And it benefited no one but themselves. So I wanted stories about people's actions that became long-term inspiration moments. Then I remembered, had a light bulb moment. The Bible is full from cover to cover of stories about people who have lived on the edge, people whose lifestyles were very significant and very impacting. But also, in many cases, it was not easy. It required incredible courage and determination to live out their faith journey. And I guess most of us 
uh, find it easy to be Christians at home, but living out in the community, in the real world, we don't find it easy. I believe that the Christian experience is really living on the edge stuff, and that's what I want to talk about it this morning. Jacinda recently, in her sermon, used the quote I want to repeat. C.S. Lewis once said, If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. You see, we need to be resolute and choose to live Christ-centered, blameless, loving lives to make a difference for God. And I wanted stories about ordinary people, people like you and I, who had responded to the call of God. Stories about commitment, about courage, and about faith. And the Bible is full of those. So I thought, well, I'll find three stories from Scripture that appeal to the different ages that are reflected here. People living on the edge, having an adventurous or perilous lifestyle, behaving in a manner which creates risk for themselves. Now, I started off for one for the seniors because they're not, you know, they've lived through life. And often there's a lot of life left uh, in them. Um, most seniors I know prefer to live the quiet life. They actually don't want to live a perilous lifestyle. They leave that to the much younger or more energetic people. But in Genesis 12, Abraham, who was a 75-year-old farmer, following years of perhaps hard work on his farm and wanting to have a quiet retirement, probably just what the doctor ordered for him, he one day got a very surprise call from God, and we want to look at that. Genesis 12, 1-2. The Lord said to Abraham, or Abram as he was called then, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. My question was, Abraham, or Abram, at that point, was he surprised? I guarantee that he was hearing God speak to him. What did he actually think when he heard that? Perhaps he thought, at my age, you've got to be joking. Are you really telling me at 75 to pack up the farm, to go and say goodbye to the rallies, and then go on a road trip which will be incredibly hard to a destination you won't even reveal to me? I think that was a real hard ask. But how did he respond well, I guess it was a, taste for his, a test for his faith. And if you look in the scripture, he came from a, a long line of people who had remained faithful to God through that part of life, but in a world really where God wasn't honored at all. In fact, it was a faithless, godless society. I guess cynically we could say it's perhaps a wee bit like Christian communities in New Zealand today. We're a minority in a world that doesn't believe in God. But verse 4 tells us of Abram's faithful choice. Verse, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. He loaded up the camels, he took all his staff and stock, and he walked 1,750 kilometers around to Egypt. What an incredible walk that was. The danger of going through other countries, facing perhaps food issues, but he followed the Euphrates and went right round to where God told him to stop. And what was his reward? Because there was a reward promised when God asked him. I guess as he stepped off in faith, there was incredible joy. And a number of you would have experienced the joy when you've sensed that God has asked you to do something and you've moved on in faith. He had a chance to be God's hands, his feet, his spokesperson, 
a real blessing for God as he walked through what was an anti-God world. But you see, here this important point. No matter when God asks us and we choose to serve God, there's always a blessing. It doesn't matter how hard it is. We can be sure when we do things for God and in his name, for Jesus Christ and in his name, that God will be lifted high. And surely that's the aim of a church and its people. You see, Abram's choice to trust and serve God by living this faith journey had lasting global impact. God said there would be a blessing, and it was promised. And what was his legacy from his faith journey? You see, Jesus Christ was born 2,000 years later into the lineage that Abraham started. And today, 2,000 years after that, God's name is still being lifted high in this community. This church is a testament to that. It's a statement to that fact that what Abraham started way back there is still flourishing. What a legacy. And there is a huge learning point in this story. You see, Abram was 75 years old. Um, but age actually doesn't worry or matter to God. He's not interested in our age. He's interested in our availability. Now, as a senior, and I'm heading to a senior's age, I'm on the pension. Um, may not look like it, but I am. Um, imagine through your willingness to actually do something that you hear God encouraging you to do. Just what a powerful sense of purpose you will have in your life. And what an impact, and I use that word very carefully, that your life could be. You see, we're working for God. This church is working for God. The people in it, in a fight against Satan. Satan who wants to destroy people's lives. And we see the evidence of that all around us. And he wants to keep people separated from God's love. But you see, he uses us, his people, to help. So I guess my question is, will we be wise Will we take a risk like Abraham did? And will we discover like he did the joy of living on the edge for Jesus' sake, for God's sake? Now here goes a story from not too long ago. We lived in Cambridge for 10 years and I used to go and visit and was inspired and encouraged in my faith journey by a lady called Barbara. Barbara needed a mobility scooter as her health and physical things had, had deteriorated. She was quite frail. Finally, she moved into a, a rest home at 85. Now, she could have thought, good, now I can stop at last. Um, now I can lead the quiet life. But, you know, instead of that, she asked God to make her a blessing and where she was to use her. She really wanted to live on the edge. And for someone in their 80s, maybe that's a bit of a risk but she was wanting to do what she could still do. So she began a small Christian life group in that village, and it became an incredible blessing for a lot of people because she wanted to do what God wanted her to do. So here goes a thought. I often say this to myself. When, when you wake up tomorrow, be thankful you're still breathing. It's always a start. And then why not ask God to make you a blessing in that day? for whatever reasons and things he wants. And then don't be amazed when it actually happens. Because we've talked about gifts here over the last week or so out of Corinthians, and he will use your giftings 
to bless and encourage other people. And his name will be raised high. So that's one for the seniors, or if you're heading that way. Now what about the younger people? Because we've got a lot of good ones at the back there. I found a really cool story about the young woman. She was a Jewish chick and she won a Miss World Beauty Contest. What a way to go. You see, Esther lived in exile in a place called Persia, along with many other Jews. Persia was a vast kingdom. It went all the way from India down to Ethiopia. And it was ruled over by a king called Xerxes. Now let's get the background of Esther's amazing story. You see, King Xerxes had a seven-day party for his mates. He got drunk, and he decided that he was going to show his beautiful queen off as a trophy to his mates. Um, Sounds like a blokey thing. But anyway, at that time, there was no woman's lib going. And Queen Vashti took a huge risk and probably under her breath thought, get lost, but politely sent a message to the king saying no. Now, poor old King Xerxes, he he got totally ticked off and he was embarrassed by his wife's behavior. And so to make a point, Queen Vashti, and he didn't want Queen Vashti's rebellion to spread amongst other women, so he fired her as queen. A bit of a hard way of doing it, but he did it. Now, this was a strange decision because, you see, he still needed a queen to help him. So he decided to hold a Miss World competition, getting the best-looking woman from everywhere in his kingdom to come and be checked over. And we read in Esther 2.17, Now, the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen. Now, what a rags-to-riches story on life for this young Jewish girl. She would have enjoyed that. But wait, there is more in the story. You see, trouble was brewing for the Jews in that place, Persia. And the reason was very simple. King Xerxes had a very favorite advisor, a Persian called Haman. But this man was arrogant. And he expected when he walked around in the palace outside that everyone would bow down to him. That's arrogance. But then one day, shock and horror, because he was walking along and he spied Mordecai, who was Esther's uncle, refusing to bow down to him. Risky business. You see, so Haman, he was a prat. He decided he was going to kill Mordecai. And when Haman then heard that he was actually Jewish... He said, do the proper job. I'll kill every single Jew living in this vast land. Now, what happened then? Simple, because he went and got King Xerxes. He was a top man to pass an irrevocable. He couldn't, once the law had been passed, he couldn't rescind it. Declaring that on a certain day, every Jew would be killed. Now, Haman was naturally full of glee with his revolting extermination plan but it was bad news for all the Jewish people. And God was also not happy with this silly madman's bizarre behavior. So what happened? We discover something very important to each one of us. God's way of saving his people was to use people to help him in his work, to fix a problem. Does that sound what happens in this church? He uses each, each one of us as important to God. Very important point. We all can help in little ways with the giftings that we have. And he loves it when we're involved in his work. He doesn't sit up there and say, I can do it. He says, 
these people can do it. You and I can do it. And that's what the story here is all about. But then how did he stop this madness? Well, first of all, God spoke to Uncle Mordecai, who in turn spoke to Esther's chief servant, who in turn then passed on the message to Esther to use her influence as queen to go and speak to her husband, King Xerxes. Now remember, this sermon is about living on the edge. To have an adventurous or perilous lifestyle, to behave in a manner which creates risk for oneself. So Esther's first reaction was actually not surprising. Let's read it from Esther 4, 11 to 16. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. This is Esther speaking. So when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. Then he makes a very important statement. For who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? Who knows that you're in this church for such a time as this? Who knows that you're living and working in your community, the places you attend and your sports places, universities, for such a time as this. And I believe that God's plans are very, very intentional. But then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa, that's where they live, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My attendants and I will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. Then she made a powerful statement, if I perish, I perish. What a consequence for being obedient. If I perish, I perish. You see, that's really living on the edge. Esther was a young person. Young people don't want to die. But she was willing to sacrifice her life for the sake of God's people. And that was a very personal faith commitment. And we know God gave her victory. And he inspired Esther with new wisdom. She held a couple of flash afternoon tea parties for the king and she invited Haman. After the party on the second day, and as a reward for his bad behavior on that day, Haman ended up swinging on the 75-foot gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. That was justice. But then the king wrote a new law. And he said the Jews could defend themselves on the day. They were meant to die, and no one died. What an amazing result because of one individual's faithful response to what God wanted. I believe it's a story we can all be inspired by. You see, he lived on the edge. The Jews were saved, and God who got acclaimed and praised and honored. Let me put it down to us as people. Learn something from the story. It's a simple story, but powerful. If God asks us to live on the edge, he will always help us. Let me say that again. If God asks us to live on the edge, he will always help us and give us the wisdom we need. And I believe we all have a personal choice. We can live our own self-directed lives or we can ask God to lead us his way. And our lives will become a huge blessing for God's kingdom. 
Here's a story that we that I want to tell you. Four years ago, we were staying in Dhaka in Bangladesh, and Lynn and I met a young New Zealand school teacher. She came from Whangaparaa here, and she was offered good, secure employment in New Zealand, and why not? Good, safe place to be. But when she heard God's encouragement and leading, she chose to go to serve in a small Christian school in Dhaka and teach Muslim kids, and we went and visited her in the school. Now, you might ask, How was that actually living on the edge? Great tourist spot to go, you know, it's fun. But it was actually an issue. You see, Dhaka has 18 million inhabitants. It's very strongly Muslim. And the locals, you know, they don't necessarily like uh, white visitors or especially young white women. It's a dangerous place. We were warned when we were there never to stop. We would see crowds gathering maybe in a little town square somewhere and listening to a local mullah, speaking to them, and we were told, never stop, because they could attack you. So it is dangerous. It's not a place for, as I say, a young lady to go to. But, you know, every day she lives on the edge. Her choice meant making a difference in the name of Jesus in a very, very tough place. Now, what about us? You know, all these stories, I believe, come back to us and our response. We're taught to be resourceful to work hard, to get well-educated in areas that appeal. And most of us plan to do life our way, to plan a career. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. I think it's quite essential. But then let me encourage you. You see, if you have a personal faith in Jesus Christ, why not invite him to lead you? Why not invite him to give you his thoughts, to challenge you to do life his way? You see, the source of that inspiration we get may come from different things, from dreams, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, being encouraged by what you hear in church week after week, or from friends, or from the books that we read. We can get our inspiration from a whole lot of different sources. But I believe that if you really want to get the best out of life, let God influence your choices. What are those choices? And we're talking to perhaps younger people here, or older ones. Um, We went to Bible college when I was 50. You don't have to be young, but it's important. Maybe training at a Bible school, and there's numerous ones around. Um, I've been to Bible schools where half the people have been young people who have chosen, instead of getting money and doing other things, they've got education, then they go on and do their Bible training. Now, Matt told us two weeks ago that the church, and we're talking about money again here, but He wants to develop a fund to be able to help young people into intern ministries. We've got uh, two interns here. What a brilliant idea. If you want to help in that, in that dream, well, maybe you could put some money towards that project to help build up young people into places where they could do and learn about ministry. For others, it might mean going on a short term mission trip. Lynn and I have done five of these now and they've been inspirational because it exposes your thinking to the opportunities that exist in other lands. See, many countries are riddled with heaps of gods, all smelt with a small, spelt with a small G. But you know, those gods offer nothing, either now or in the future. There is a desperate world that needs to hear about God spelt with a big G, who offers life and hope and a future for those who accept Jesus Christ as their saviour. 
And that's why his name is always promoted here, because of the powerful truth of getting to know a God who's got a big G instead of a small G. You see, maybe for many, New Zealand is your mission field. Uh, your role will be to stay strong in your faith. And I want to talk to the young people particularly here, because I believe there's an enormous battle going on for the lives of young people. You know, don't mix two cultures. And we've just had that series on First Corinthians where, as a church, they were having a faith in the old culture, and they were mixing them up, making mistakes. Whether it's in your home, your university, or your school, wherever you find yourself, you've got to make sure that you stand for the faith that you know is the right one. Don't mix it. You've got to, I believe, honour God by living with integrity. The Bible teaches us all about how to live. We've got to stand, and this is very important, you've got to stand strong for your faith in a crowd. And some of you already may have experienced that you've been hassled because they know you go to a church or you've got a faith in God. And it may mean that you do get picked on, but you've got to be strong. Now, to read the quote mentioned earlier, C.S. Lewis said, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. It's comfortable when you're home or in a church, but out in the big world out there, it's not always comfortable, and you've got to be strong. You see, we live in a very, very liberated society. Anything and everything goes now. You can do it. If it smells good, you eat it. If you want to do it, do it. There's no constraints. And that liberation has had a huge impact on our New Zealand society. It's a destabilizing impact. It's brought society down, I believe, especially for our young people. And there are a lot of New Zealand young people who are increasing, growing desperation. They have anxiety. They're talking about it a lot. And sadly, suicides are on the increase as a consequence, I believe, of the desperation that exists. Now, maybe our young people know mates, people who are going through what I would define as hell in all sorts of ways. Maybe you've got to stand with them. You've got to encourage them. Maybe that's your part. And you have to have the faith. I believe you've got to have the guts to do it because it's not easy to actually stand up for your faith in a world that's pretty anti-God. But when you choose to live on the edge with God's help, you will experience, and listen to this, you will experience his strength, you will experience his wisdom, his courage, and this is important, you'll have a real powerful sense of your value as a person. And that's what I think is an amazing thing. Here's a final story. Matt talked the other day about Peter in Acts 3, going healing a crippled man on the way to the, uh, the local synagogue. I believe Peter was really demonstrating living on the edge. And I believe this story is also an incredible challenge to each one of us. Have you ever been in a situation where you have felt, maybe I should do something here? Maybe pray for someone? Maybe share your faith story to encourage them? Maybe just to be with them and they know that you go to church, that you have a faith. But what often is our reaction in these situations? How often do we hesitate to actually do something or we actually do nothing? 
Now, I guarantee I'm not alone in this. We often hesitate to share what we really think we should share. Peter must have had some fascinating thoughts in his head when God encouraged him to heal, reach out in Jesus' name and heal this crippled man. What were his thoughts? Maybe I don't want to mock or make a fool of this beggar. I don't want to make a fool of myself in front of this crowd. I don't want to offer this something that seems impossible and actually mock him. Were those his first thoughts? But you see, Peter exhibited something we all need. He exhibited confidence, bold confidence. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit prompting him to do it. And with that confidence, he stepped out in faith. Imagine applying that to your situation, the things you feel that you should do. Having that confidence, having the faith, having the courage to step out. He didn't act impulsively, and I think that's important. We must always ask God for help. It's been my favorite word for many years. Asking God to give permission, to give guidance, to give his wisdom into situations we find ourselves. But you see, that day, the biggest blessing was not for Peter or even the beggar. who suddenly got his legs. It was actually for those who watched, saw the miracle, and God got the, I think he got the amazing credibility. His name was raised high in that community because of one man's choice to step out. How does that affect us? I think it's actually very important. John fourteen twelve tells us, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. You see, Jesus was saying, Hey, I've done three years of ministry. You've seen me. Now you go and do it. You go out into your communities. You become my hands and feet, my spokesperson, and my encourager. You see, I think, here's an issue. Why do we sometimes not do these things? Because I think that sometimes we need the whole plan before we move forward. We want to know every little detail, where we're going, how long will it take? Will I know anybody? What are they going to ask me to do? Will I have everything I need? Who else is going? What if I miss out on and go? What, what if I fail? What if I succeed and don't know what to do next? You see, often in our life we want all the answers before we step out in faith. And yet God is saying, hey, trust me. Abram trusted God not knowing where he was going. He committed himself to this horrendous, hard road trip in total faith that God would provide. What about you and me tomorrow? I believe that it's no point preaching on a Sunday if we can't apply it on a Monday. And that's the reality that all of us face. It strengthens our faith and we begin to, uh, I think, move our feet in the right direction. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Faith is taking the first step even when we don't see the whole staircase. You see, are we going, what are we going to do tomorrow? Um, are we going to wake up? Thank God we've still got breath. And then say, now God, give me the opportunity. Give me the chance to be a blessing for you. And it could come in millions of little ways. Could be just being nice to a neighbor. Could be listening to a workmate who's got issues and saying, hey, look, I know God who could help you. Do you mind if I pray? Little stuff, but it's very important. You see, we have to believe that the promise of God is enough to go where God leads, even if it's unspecific 
and unfamiliar. Here's a challenge, and I'm going to finish with this. Today, if you feel God is calling you to do something, and I guarantee all of us have thoughts at different times. My own story, um, I was a happy high school teacher. Um, I've been under property development. Life was growing good. Really was. And in the mid-90s, God said, uh, he just asked me a question. He said, are you satisfied? I said, too right I am. I've got everything I've worked hard for. And he kept asking me that same question. Are you satisfied? And I thought, this is weird. God's trying to get to me, and I'm too thick to actually understand that. No, that's a battle we often have. And anyway, what happened is that here we realized he wanted us to do, and 15 years before that, I'd had thoughts about going into a pastoral ministry in the Baptist church. 15 years later, he started saying, hey, start thinking about it. I had a sense that God was calling. Uh, we sold our house. We gave up, Lynn was also in education. We gave up our jobs, and we stepped out in total faith. And I tell you what, since 1997, we have had the most amazing, hard time, blessed time, happy time, richly satisfying time, rewarding time, despite some of the battles we've had to go through. Um, ask Matt, being a pastor is never the easiest job. And you don't just have cups of teas with old people and work on Sundays. It's actually bigger than that. But on what I'm, the point I'm making is that by, we learnt that this is not a theory. We've been incredibly blessed because we stepped out not knowing where we're going. And so I can say this is not just theory. It's actually learning to trust, learning to live on the edge. And then don't stop being amazed and blessed when you experience wonderful things happening in your life. And it goes right across the board. Now, I've got another section. Tonight I'm going to be uh, showing a video and um, again, look at the whole question of where God takes us and how important it is to be smart enough to actually listen and then trust. Now, I'm going to pray, and I, I basically I, I'm going to pray for those who perhaps have faced similar questions in your life, what to, where to, how to, because I think we all need sometimes to stop and say, is God teaching me something? Is he asking me to do something? Could be something quite simple. Could be huge. But to become the blessed people that he wants us to be. So let me pray. Lord, I thank you that your scriptures are full of human stories from cover to cover. Stories of people living on the edge. Stories of people who have had to commit themselves to serving you. Sometimes it's cost them their life and many times it's been incredibly difficult journey for them. But they have grown, they've been inspired, their faith has been stretched, but they have seen you working. And I pray for everyone here today that you will speak to each one of us. You'll inspire us tomorrow as to what we can do to be a blessing. We may be very early in our faith journey, but Lord, you want to encourage us in that journey. We may have been around for many, many years, and you need to re-inspire us, to re-engage with us so that we're not consumed just about living, but we're actually living the way you want us to live, to be a blessing. I thank you for that amazing story of Esther, a young woman who said, yeah, I'm happy to, not happy, but I'm, I'm prepared to, to lose my life because you have led me. And what an amazing consequence of that story. I thank you for Peter, who 
could have made a total fool of himself by reaching out and saying, stand up in God's name. But he had the courage to do it. And your name was lifted high. So I thank you for everyone here today who have, again, taken time out of the, the busy life that we all lead, who have come and are prepared to commit themselves to the work of this church. I pray for this church as it continues to uh, dream bigger pictures and it dreams for inspiration. I thank you for the trip that Matt and Jacinda will go on that will be an inspiration to them to actually grow this church to a new level. I thank you for the people who stand and encourage it to go on. The leaders, I pray for them particularly, that they'll be an inspiration, that they will hear your voice, and that this church will continue to flourish and expand, not only here, but as has been mentioned, perhaps Long Bay, other regions in this area. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your encouragement. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who talks to us and encourages us every moment. And I thank you for that amazing word, help, that we can say to you. Every time we need your help, you're there to resource us, encourage us, and bless us. So I thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.